Hello and welcome to Adapod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I'm your host, Emilio Garcia. Today, we sat down with Satya Marar and Emily Dye of the ATA to talk about lockouts and ATO wage theft. Enjoy the episode and stick around afterwards to learn more about how to participate with the ATA. Please enjoy. So here we are once again in the Australian Taxpayers Alliance office. We're here with Emily Dai and Satya Marar. What's going on? It's not much, not much. We're going to talk uh, to Emily. We've had her on the podcast before, but as an intern, now... She's the highly efficient uh, head of uh, communication, is it? Yes, communications manager. And she is uh, the most efficient person you'll ever meet. She got here as an intern a few months ago, and now she's basically running Australia, which is great. (laughs) And you're regularly published nowadays, I hear. Yes, I've gotten a few pieces out in the media recently. Great. And so the one I want to talk to you about today is one that you wrote about the ATO. Not the ATA, the ATO. Yes. Now, they're bad. We, we all know this, right? Yes. As libertarian-minded people. I mean, sometimes people mix them up, and <laughs> we've had a few people try to pay us their taxes, and unfortunately... Do, do you accept it? We, we feel too bad to take it, because, ah, well. you know... I mean, it might be sort of illegal, but also we feel bad doing it. I mean, I mean that would really giving it suck for them later. The ATA's <laughs> taking it. ATO. Uh, even I'm doing it. All right. Emily, why... Is the ATO so very, very bad? Well, recently there's been um, this whistleblower, Richard Boyles, and he's uh, come out with the fact that the ATO is garnishing wages Mm. and garnishing profits from businesses before they actually prove that they're guilty of not paying their taxes. Okay, so what's happening essentially is the ATO is coming saying, uh, we suspect that you actually made this amount in profit you only paid it this amount, so what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and take it from you before you even have a chance to tell us, uh, to, to make your case, essentially, to defend yourself. Exactly. And then there's this whole appeal process, which mm. is expensive, and these are small businesses. So it's not Amazon. It's not Facebook. Right. They can't spend years in litigation trying to defend themselves, especially when their money has been literally sucked out of their bank accounts. They can't afford lawyers. They can't fight back. Yeah. And so what you're saying is the accusation is made, the money is taken out of their account, and then the business has the right to appeal. Yeah. They have to prove that they didn't cheat on their taxes. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that's pretty shady. Yeah. yeah. Look, another dimension to a lot of this is that um, more recently, these are businesses which have applied for and been granted tax offsets for mm-hmm. research and development. You know, we love to talk about how this country is and innovation country we want Mm. to have the next bright ideas in the future we want to encourage businesses to develop those ideas on our shores yeah uh but what often happens is uh the guidelines around these tax offsets aren't very clear Uh, and the business will get approved we'll get the money we'll begin the research sometimes even finish the research Mm. a few years later the ato looks back over the stuff the ato which is often not qualified to make these judgments and will say oh by the way we don't think you actually were meant to qualify for that offset we're going to garnish your accounts now and get that money back. Wow. But the money is already being spent. Right. So it doesn't, it's not there for the business to pay back. The mm-hmm. business has, by most accounts, done absolutely the right thing. Yeah. Follow the letter of the law. 
but they've now been, you know, they're now facing the shaft because of it and it could drive them bankrupt. And with this sort of yeah. stuff happening, what's the point of even having these offsets? Businesses are better off not applying for them. Yeah. Because and not doing the research anyway. Because God knows a few years from now you could be stuck in court. Yeah, well, and it also seems to completely ignore the concept of risk. So sure, you get some money, and with that money you can do some research, and with that research you can make some profit. Possibly. The last part is, is, is not a sure thing. Sure, you have money and you can do research. That might not pay off. So if you take the risk, you use that money, and it doesn't pay off, then what the ATO is essentially doing is saying, this money that we gave you with the assumption that you'd make a profit off of it, took a risk, it didn't work out, and now we're going to take that money back. Yeah, but also, you know, it, it's a lot of the time, these aren't even grants to begin with. Some of them are grants. Some of them are just offsets. That is so what you pay less in taxes. Yeah, you, you're allowed to keep a bit more of your own money. Mm. And then when you reinvest that money back into your business, instead of giving it to the ATO, mm. the money's gone. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, now you owe us, the, owe us this money in the future. I think that's something that's often misunderstood is this money is reinvested back into the business. It's not liquid. People right. don't just have a bunch of money sitting around in bank accounts for they can suddenly pay these giant fees from mm. the ATO. It's in the business. It's right. in whatever they have that they're selling in their infrastructure, in their rent, in their electricity bills. It's Yeah, and another thing that I think, um, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding this, but in your article, essentially the ATO, the ATA, oh, oh God, the ATO has kind of broad discretion when it comes to assessing the net worth of a business. And so if you have, let's say, they, they will take into consideration more things than just your net profit. Correct. And so they can charge you more based on maybe some investments that you've made. But as you say, they're not liquid investments. You don't have money because you bought a uh, machine or something. Yeah, exactly. This is one of the biggest problems with the death tax in America mm. is, particularly with small farms, it's a lot of money to have that much land, but it's all wrapped up in the land. And so <laughs> they get taxed on the entire property. Right. But that's not how much money they have. They don't have that money to spend. They have to sell the property and then basically the business is gone at that right. point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, for context, uh, the death tax is referring to the inheritance tax or the right. estate tax. So as soon as you die, the uh, inefficient part, of, the most inefficient part of the government takes to task how much a person is worth and then charges a monetary value on top of that. Though yeah. it's not money. It's not necessarily money, essentially. Sometimes it's money. Like, you know, when, when uh, a billionaire dies, probably, you know, paying 10% of, or how much is the de death tax? Like uh, I don't have it off the top of my head. I think head. it's like 4-6%. But, yeah, they'll probably have enough liquidity to pay that amount. But yeah. as you say... But a business like, owner, they usually have... They usually yeah. have enough money in the business. The business is worth a lot of money. Exactly. But it's mostly infrastructure-based. Exactly. We used to have those sorts of uh, inheritance taxes or death taxes in Australia mm. until I think about the 1970s. And this, uh, the, the Premier of Queensland uh, became the first state to actually do away with them. Okay. And what happened right after that is all of a sudden everyone wants to retire <laughs> in Queensland. Of course. Queensland became the retirement state. And all of a sudden every other state sees what happens mm. and they follow it. And it became like a domino wave and now it's gone. And now in the US, they're still talking about it. And, uh, you know, they need to get ahead of the curve like we are. Mm. It sounds, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy concept that you would uh, allow people to keep more of their money and to reduce regulations and make life less hard for people and that people would want to then go to a place and make it more successful. It's a pretty uh, confronting subject. Speaking of confronting subjects, uh, and not having your liberty and the government infringing on your right to behave however you want, lockouts. 
Lockouts. Lockouts in New yes. South Wales. They're gone. And they're gone, and it's thanks to... The ATA. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well and, and, and a bunch of other groups, but, you know, mainly, uh, mainly us. Exactly. <laughs> We've written quite a bit about it, and, yeah. yeah. I think you guys were leading the way in it. I think you guys were making the... the the proposition that this was actually adversely affecting the economy and the wages of a lot of people, particularly, especially in hospitality, people that are earning less and had much more earning potential taking a night shift, right? So what's ha why don't you give us a little bit of background as to what you got, how your campaign went while the lockout laws were still in place and what's happening now? Yeah, so um, when they first announced this inquiry, mm. We were obviously determined to make a submission because it's something that our members care about a lot. Uh, most of us probably would not stay out past 2 a.m. partying. This was never about, we think that everyone should just be out in the street passing out the gutter at 3 a.m. Mm. I mean, if you want to do that, then by all means, exactly. go it's ahead. God-given right to well, pass out in the gutter at 3 a.m. Yeah, most and, of us except for Satya here. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, but anyway, you know, by all means. Uh, but, but the problem is when those laws came in, a whole bunch of really hardworking small businesses, yep. some of the, our nicest night spots were forced to close down uh, because they could no longer turn a profit in a city where rents and, and uh, right. startup costs tend to be quite high. Mm. That was a problem. And Sydney essentially turned into a bit of a ghost town. Uh, and even though the, you know, the bars and pubs only had to close by 2, 2 2.30 a.m. or so, yeah. it still meant that by 11 p.m. the place is still dead because all your favorite bars are closing down. Yeah. And now that we've you know, managed to fight this and get them repealed, showing some of the research from the USA and other places that have mm -hmm. experimented with similar ineffective laws. Um, we can now hopefully see some of these businesses coming back and, you know, Sydney can be a 24-7 city again. Yeah, so I want to bring up two really important points about this. The first is, and I always found this very bizarre, especially arriving in Australia for the first time. The lockouts here are kind of around 2 or 3 a.m. Unless there is gambling, in which case you can open until like six. What the hell? So that's the first thing. <laughs> I mean, gambling's not even illegal in the U.S. I know, but I mean, you're saying, essentially you're saying, well, you know, you can't be drinking until too late unless you're also gambling, in which case that's fine. So that's one thing that I want to touch on. And the second would be, if, for example, King's Cross, we talk about a lot of bars going bankrupt. We, don't, we also don't talk about, how about like the little restaurants and the kebab stores and the places that would, that would kind of, have patronage from people coming out of bar, uh, at that late hour, totally expanding their uh, their earning potential by staying open late. Yeah, they also suffer greatly, right? So why don't we stick to the first part? Why in the world? Whose brilliant idea was it? Alcohol's bad, so don't drink it too late unless you also gamble. So um, this misconception that it's about gambling, it's actually about the casino, the monopoly, mm. the main business that is paying the state government a lot of money and license fees and so on. Now, there were a lot of conspiracy theories about corruption and lobbying. Uh, now, we don't know if there's any truth to that. Okay. Uh, but it is suddenly curious that the effectively the one venue right outside the original lockout zone, which had the most to gain from these laws coming in, was the big old uh, Star City Casino. That's right. Uh, where many, all, it's a Sydney institution. We've all been there. Mm. Um, and it's a bit of a cash cow as well for the state government. They make a lot of money off gambling. Right. And you can really see this double-edged thing, a double-edged uh, sort of like mindset, right? Mm. Where the government claims to want to crack down on the vice of gambling. Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll ban things like online poker, which <laughs> is a game of skill, right. where you have some control over the odds. Mm. 
And they'll do this in the face of strong lobbying by the slot machine industry, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and uh, meanwhile, they'll allow other forms of gambling, which are actually more dangerous, where we have less control over the odds. That's right. So it's it's the absolute worst goblinry and malfeasance you find <laughs> in the state. That's right. Emily? I mean, that's one thing that's striking between Melbourne and Sydney, just mm. how many VIP lounges there are. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> amazing. Like, every bar I go into seems to have a VIP lounge. Right. And well, they, you know, it kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a perverse incentive because you're saying this is the only way in which I can kind of expand my hours, keep my people on for longer, make more money into the night, is to put some pokies in the back. Well, why wouldn't one do that? Well, VIP lounge is almost an oxymoron, right? Because if you found it's a, a so-called... <laughs> no, I mean, like, you go into a VIP lounge in an American casino and you're mm. going to find, like, guys in suits, high rollers, you know, a lot of money to yeah. burn. Yeah, yeah. You go to a VIP, so-called VIP lounge in Australia and you're going to find, like, some fat old person who's on Centrelink wearing an adult diaper who's got a serious I mean, gambling problem. I'd say with the U.S., you've got... That's, you have the spectrum. It's the spectrum. Yes. <laughs> Most of our casinos are on the reservation because the reservations mm. are not under the same laws as the rest of the United States. Good for them, by the way. I know. They, they've got a bit more freedom. That's a free market. Right yeah, there. they've got free market and they've monopolized on it and they're having a good time and they've got some giant casinos. It's probably the biggest thing on every reservation is the that's casino. True. Yeah. And then you've got uh, I would love Nevada, an Aboriginal casino. It. An Aboriginal casino. I would love that, but they'll never let it happen. Well, yeah. I mean, look what it look. What it I took don't think to it's been open. Donny, I mean, uh, they're yeah. clearly not keen on letting them use their own uh, land to make their own lives better. But that's kind of beside the point. What can we expect now going forward? Um, places like uh, I don't know. I know that lockout laws are opening across the CBD. Does that affect Kings Cross? Um, no, Kings Cross still has. Lockout Kings Cross laws. is still going to be closed. Correct. So, but the CBD is now open. What are we going to expect? What what positive or negative or what ramifications generally can we expect now? That the well, I think this actually causes a problem because mm. um, you're just hurting one group and not the other. So you're picking like restaurants, bars in yeah. in Kings Cross are going to be hurt even more by this, right? Um, because people are going to just go to the CBD to drink, That's right. and so it will probably cause an increase in poverty in the CBD area or not CBD in the Kings Cross area. I, decrease in bars as yeah. CBD bars uh, are benefiting. Right. And it may actually lead, we'll see what it does with violence. Um, I think, because mm. I was walking through King's Cross the other night. Right. It is a mess. Um, <laughs> I live very close there and there is, there is definitely a problem. Um, right. I don't think lockouts are the solution. I think mm. there's personal responsibility and there needs to be enforcement of laws related to alcohol related violence or just violence. Right. It's not because you're drinking, it's because you're acting out violently. That needs to be enforced. Um, I hope that that doesn't affect uh, violence too much. What we, what we saw in, in King's Cross, I mean, King's Cross, I think, uh, saw a reduction in violence, but not necessarily because of the lockouts. It's because uh, violence was on its way yeah. down anyway. Well, well, there was also an increase in violence in the neighborhoods around yeah, makes where sense. I live, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, well um, so, so violence in pure terms did decrease in King's Cross, mm. um, but when you adjust for foot traffic, ah. uh, so per the number of people actually going through the area, violence has remained about the same. Okay. Uh, I've been speaking to a few people anecdotally. You know, I, I, I'm just old enough to have experienced the city and King's Cross before the lockouts. Mm. Uh, but most people concur that back in those days, and on a Friday night, the streets would be absolutely packed with revelers. And yes, you'd see more fights, you'd see more people acting out, 
Right. But you actually felt safer because you're always surrounded by people. That's a good point. And the people assaulting each other were usually among themselves. Yeah. You know, uh, these sorts of random assaults were not that common, which is why it took so many years for two of them to happen. That's right. Um, and, and they happened at like 8 p.m., right? And there's definitely yeah. benefits to having more money in bars because then they can hire more bouncers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, more people. I mean, w w the people that we're seeing employed, you know, people that are staying up till 4 a.m. behind a bar serving you drinks are people that could really use that money. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not seeing people, you know, who are then just going to go out in the next morning to a high-paying job. We want to expand these people's earning potential. So it just really was a terrible, terrible thing all around. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to think, Emily, and that's a really good point, that we're actually going to see maybe surrounding areas see a really meaningful impact to their bottom line, especially considering that so much of the money that bars and restaurants make is between Thursday and Saturday. And so if you want to go out for your drinks, for, for drinks with your friends, maybe you're not going to choose a place in Darling Harbor or uh, in, in King's Cross or something. You'll probably just, you know, let's just go to the CBT because we can stay out longer. But, but uh, I guess the corollary to all of this is that um, if those effects happen, you know, these worst case scenario effects where you just end up ruining King's Cross by dragging people out of the CBD, that creates the political pressure to include the King's Cross in terms of removing lockouts yeah uh so it, the problem could essentially fix itself which would be a good outcome you can help so the other thing is and i think this is what probably drove the decision to keep the the lockouts within king's cross uh king's cross is much more of a residential area now yeah than it used to be before lockouts mm. so residents are naturally a bit reluctant to see the city to see this you know the place they live in become more of a loud night spot when they for sure but don't you think that then what we need to do is liberalize it and then give more power to the councils to regulate bar hours at the behest of the people that live in that in that area well i certainly uh, yeah. sorry. oh absolutely i think it's a serious problem when you have laws for some people and different laws for other people and that just creates an imbalance in the market yeah different and it's people unfair. will need different things right yeah yeah but um no, I agree with that. Look, our position at the ATA has always been, let it be up to councils. If you have a local council area that's strongly residential and they don't want to have too many bars open till 5 a.m. because of the noise and all that, mm. then that's a local community decision. Yes. Uh, that should be fine. Um, but I think the reason, I'm just speculating here, but I think the reason why the King's Cross thing was maintained was pressure from residents. But mm. I, I think that that should be, I agree, a decision made by the council, not a decision made by the state government. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm definitely not looking forward to all the people leaving King's Cross late at night <laughs> and wandering through my neighborhood, um, trying to find their next bar as they've gotten kicked out after lockouts. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I guess that's... Um, Body in your place? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please no. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how this, um, how this kind of plays out. And uh, for, obviously, thank you to uh, the ATA from, on behalf of all night goers for opening up the, the city for us. And uh, I think we're gonna leave it here. So thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah, sayonara. Thanks for listening to Adipod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. If you care to know more about the ATA, visit their website, www.taxpayers.org, where you'll be able to see their mission statement, their projects, campaigns, objectives, and so much more. Remember, listening to the podcast is free, but creating it isn't. If you'd like to continue to see the Australian Taxpayers Alliance advocacy, please consider becoming a member or donating. You can do this on their website as well. 
This has been Adipod. We'll see you next time.